0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Glad Trad Podcast. Hope you're well and that you're staying glad and trad. My name is Rudy, and typically when we have an interview here on the podcast, it's Jordan and I together. But unfortunately, today, Jordan can't make it. Uh, It's really not that unfortunate. Uh, He's doing a bit of wedding planning. His wedding is in about a month. So please continue to keep him in your prayers. And I'm sure he appreciates that very much. Uh, Now, as I mentioned, we have a very special guest. We have Father Trevor Burfitt with the Society of St. Pius X. And we're going to be discussing the Ignatian spiritual exercises. As you may have gathered from the the name, they come from St. Ignatius of Loyola. And they are a very special and powerful devotion given to us by Our Lady through St. Ignatius. to develop a really deep interior life. And so without further ado, we're going to dive right into the interview. I hope you enjoy it. Please make sure to subscribe if you're not subscribed to our channel and share it with your friends. We really appreciate that. And above all, we appreciate your prayers. Thank you so much.
1: In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, amen. Come, Holy Ghost, and fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle on them the fire of thy love, and forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, Thou shalt renew the face of the the earth. earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful, by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant that I give to the same Spirit, that we may be always truly wise, and ever to rejoice in his consolations, through the same Christ our Lord.
0: Amen.
1: Immaculate and sorrowful heart of Mary. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, this is the Feast of St. Joseph, so happy Feast Day. Yeah, thank
0: you, Father. Welcome, uh, to the, uh, welcome to the uh, the podcast. Really happy to, to have you on here and thank you discuss much. the uh, Ignatian spiritual exercises.
1: Which I'm very happy to do.
0: Thank you. Father, could you give us a brief introduction of yourself and what your role in the Priestly Society of St. Pius X is?
1: Certainly. Well, I grew up in Washington State and Idaho, so I was exposed to the Society of St. Pius X from my very moment of baptism, but I was baptized late, about five years old. So Father Terrence Finnegan was my baptizing priest. And so having been introduced to the society, we always either attended a traditional mass of an independent priest or the Society of St. Pius X. Eventually, I ended up in Post Falls as an assistant teacher. And had a chance to work in the boys academy there at immaculate conception post falls and then um, spending two years there under the tutorship of the priests, then I was able to be um, prepared in a semi semi role let's call it, I was called a semi seminarian. um, pre seminarian just before entering the seminary in 1995 so at 1993, four. prep prep time, 95, entered the seminary in Winona, Minnesota, spent seven years there, was ordained in 2002, and then was first assigned to Ridgefield, Connecticut, where I spent almost three years. And then my district superior wanted me to be the prior in Phoenix. So I was transferred to Phoenix, Arizona to be the prior pastor, headmaster, and retreat master. So that was very... (laughs) <laughs> that was very, impressive. a lot of hats, you know. Right. Um, and then after that, after seven years there in Phoenix, I was sent to Veneta, Oregon. I spent, uh, that's just outside of Eugene, St. Thomas Beckett campus there. And I spent four years there before coming to Arcadia, being assigned to Arcadia, where I have been almost five years now. Impressive. And here in Arcadia, of course, we run quite a quite an operation. This being the Priory, we pretty much take care of Southern California, which means we have a chapel in San Diego, San Pedro, Bakersfield, and Colton.
0: Wow, that's massive. That's a huge campus for you guys. It's
1: good to have uh, four priests to help me.
0: Yeah, well, we're happy to have
1: you. That's amazing.
0: So, Father, um, I wanted to ask you, uh, for those who aren't initiated with the spiritual exercises, um, what they were and how they, how they started.
1: Yes. So, obviously, they have their name from St. Ignatius himself, um, St. Ignatius of Loyola, who, of course, was quite a personality at the time, and someone that our Lord raised up. It's amazing the similarity between St. Ignatius and St. Francis, both starting off as these men of uh, with great aspirations for knighthood, for, <laughs> um, for manliness, for wanting to fight and having bravado. That's how he started, St. Ignatius. Of course, he wasn't, as a boy, a soldier. He was given the name Enillo at his baptism. Ignatius was born... Um, uh, about Yeah, the late, teen, late 1400s, and therefore, that time, there was a lot going on in Spain. And so he, coming up, raised up, was this sort of personality that our Lord could use in order to, at that time, fight the Reformation. Mm. At that time, he was would end up being a, quite a bulwark of strength against the Protestant um, errors, Protestant um, devastation to Europe. Um, St. Ignatius was, as I say, quite a soldier in his time, but he was wounded. And it's through that wounding, as it can often be, that God gives us a trial and difficulty in order to waken up the soul. So he spent that time with his injury, reading, studying, getting to know uh, more about Scripture. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I myself have actually been to his family chapel where he was recovering. I made a, ch- a trip to Loyola. Um, there's a beautiful church there. Now, I even have a picture here on my wall in my office where he, well, yes, the chapel is right next to the beautiful church now, his little chapel, which is more of, they had an interesting style of building at that time. It was kind of like a little castle, just straight up like a tower. And mm-hmm. so his room is at the very top. Well, the room that was his chapel, and he spent time there praying and reading. And then, of course, he um, had his conversion, his conversion there. Uh, This cannonball was his conversion ball. (laughs) Um, Seeing the mess in his legs, he said, well, what am I going to do but read and get to know about Jesus? So he did Spent nine months confined to bed on that third floor of the castle of Ignatius Castle. Um, And it was there that he uh, decided to take up some very, um, well, I say just really stringent practices for himself. Um, As a matter of fact, I I visited Manresa, which would end up being one of the caves that he prayed at when he received the Ignatian exercises from Our Lady. Mm -hmm. She actually gave them to him herself. Uh, He wrote in his notebook these spiritual exercises. And just before we go too far with that, so obviously they're named after him, he received them from Our Lady, and they're called spiritual exercises, just like we know we have to exercise the body. These Ignatian exercises really do exercise the soul. We even tell people on the Ignatian exercises, don't do too much penance because (laughs) if you do too much penance on the body, the soul's also being taxed and you're liable to just put yourself down. You need to remember that uh, on the Ignatian exercises, you are doing a lot of work. There's a lot of work to be done in the soul, and it really tires you. It really is a work each and every day. Um, So... What else to say about that, other than he weighing up his former dreams of a knightly conquest, he transferred that energy, that knighthood, that desire for bravado to the supernatural bravado, and the strength of his will, um, he used to promote supernatural life and the good of the soul. So we got the Ignatian exercise from Ignatius, he obviously received them from Our Lady in the cave of Manresa from her hands and then he took and put all this energy of his knighthood into being a knight for god a knight for our lord
0: that's incredible yeah i you know and and just for our our listeners um just to give you a sort of context of saint ignatius's life um he was born in 1491 and throughout his life he he gets to experience like really like really important um moments in the history of the church like for example um in 1521 the first big explicit events of the the protestant revolt begin and he's 30 at the time um in 1530 and up until 1537 king henry separates england from rome um 1531 our lady of guadalupe appears to juan diego uh, and begins the, the, the conversion of, of big in South America. And then, um, it's really interesting too, to see how, how God works with, with, uh, mm-hmm. with so many people. He, you know, he, he calls so many people to, to sanctity and to, to, um, to fight for the honor of Holy Mother, the church. It's, it's really incredible. I mean, if you see, if you contrast how many souls were lost, uh in england separating themselves from rome and then yeah and then you see all of the souls being lifted up in south america by our blessed mother it's just so incredible how how god works that way
1: it's as though god will have his souls regardless you know right He'll, he'll look wherever he can he'll send our lady as a missionary to do that um yes it's very true very very awesome to watch the work of god trying to spread the faith around the world Mm -hmm. or actually doing it, but uh, it's a question, I guess, of who accepts it. Um, Yeah, so I'm really impressed by these Ignatian exercises and the work of the Jesuits. You know, there's a biography done on St. Ignatius um, that I highly recommend. It was put out by 10 books. I read that life of his, well, probably close close to 20 years ago now or maybe a little less than that, because I remember I was ordained a priest and I wrote to Bishop Fillet, who was our superior general at the time. And I said to him, I said, Your Excellency, now I understand what you have to put up with as a superior general. I mean, I look at the life of St. Ignatius and I see what he had to go through just to have his order survive. And I understand what you're up against too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So were you ordained by Bishop Fillet? I was. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Yep. He was the ordaining bishop that year. In Winona, Minnesota, St. Thomas Aquinas, formerly St. Thomas Aquinas Seminary, before it moved to Virginia.
0: Hmm. Yeah, they, they definitely have a lot of, um, uh, you know, a district superior even has, um, has a lot on his plate, for sure.
1: Yeah, and the, the expanse of the United States is quite something for one superior uh, to think that there's one Superior General over the whole world apostolate of the society, and then to think that there's just Father John Fullerton in the United States to look after 80-some priests and uh, miles, as you know, thousands of miles of country, where we have our close to 30-some chapels spread out. Um, well, yeah, about 28 priories, I think it's plus that, with schools, and then, of course, multiple more chapels around that, that uh those priories take care of so um i don't even remember the number i'd have to check again but we have such so much apostolate to cover by just you know a few men
0: mm-hmm. yeah the labor is uh labor is plenty for sure nowadays it
1: yeah it's quite something
0: so tell us about the spiritual exercises what do they entail and um
1: certainly the Ignatian exercises, um, as we say, are exercises, but for the soul. And I'd like to read to you from a nice commentary that I have, that I've used for preaching exercises a few times. Um, it's by an Al- Alosius, uh, Alosius Ambrousi, I think is his name, Alosius Ambrousi. And he says, it is recognized that among all the methods of spiritual exercises, which are very laudable, and they adhere to the principles of sound Catholic asceticism. No one has ever held the foremost place and adorned by the full and repeated approbation of the Holy See and honored by the praises of men, like these exercises. Distinguished for spiritual doctrine and sanctity, they have borne abundant fruits of holiness during the space of all these hundreds of years. We mean the method introduced by St. Ignatius, and we are pleased to call the chief and peculiar master of spiritual exercises, St. Ignatius, whose admirable book of exercises ever since it was solemnly approved, praised, and commended by our predecessor, Paul the, uh, that time was Paul III of happy memory, already to repeat some words we once used before our elevation to the chair of Peter, already we say, stood forth conspicuous as a most wise and universal code of laws for the direction of souls. So that's really what it is. He's He's amassed a lot of natural truths and supernatural truths into a set of exercises that fit the soul so well. I can't tell you how happy I was to learn them, to go through them myself as a seminarian, and then to be able to preach them. I was able to preach at least once now the 30-day exercises of St. Ignatius, but we actually attend that normally. Uh, The usual cycle is for the seminarian to attend a 30-day exercise before he's ordained, and that's that's the real structure of the Ignatian exercises, 30 days of spiritual work i could break that down for you a little further too as we go here Um, so for instance the exercises are broken as i say down into 30 days so then you have four weeks four Mm -hmm. weeks of time it doesn't have to strictly be seven days each week because normally the retreat master is going to spend about mm, probably about close to 10 days even if he needs to on that first week and that first week, um, I'm going to show you, well, I can at least tell you the structure of that first week um, as an example. You would have, as I say, close to those 10 days, and you would have such things as about five five conferences and one instruction or maybe a couple instructions as needed each day, uh, starting early morning and then working through the day all the way up until the evening. So your whole day is structured around first getting to know what is the, the end of man, and then working through to what is the result of sin, and that we are sinners, then making that general confession, and then after that to do a meditation on hell, maybe a couple of meditations, a few meditations on the results of sin. And then, of course, Coming around after that general confession to building back up, so the first week is uh end of man, sin, reality of judgment, heaven or hell, and then also the um, the first the early part of our Lord's life, mainly to uh, I think as our structure says here I think um, let me just check my outline um, Did I put that? So anyway, um, yes. The after you after talking about what is the result of sin, and then what the judgment would be on a particular soul, depending on their state of soul, uh, state of affairs, then we talk about the prodigal son, and that's a very it's a very pivotal moment. Right after the persons made their confession, to mm-hmm. hear about the prodigal son, to make a good communion, and to rely on this mercy of God, the mercy of the Sacred Heart, and that that takes up a lot of the 5D exercises. That's part of the 30-day, which we sum up. Father Valle summed this up for us. He was the great apostle in Spain who preaching the exercises to laymen. He really reduced the 30-day exercise down to five in order to get laymen to take them more easily between their work schedules Mm -hmm. and therefore he formed a great strength of men in spain at that time which of course would end up being very pivotal in keeping the faith during the revolution of spain so he um he did that so really the ignatian exercise as we know them five days is spent a lot of time spent on this first week preparing the soul in only a few or a couple days at the end of the week, spent on rebuilding the soul. So, um, let's see. I think probably for clarity here, so after that after that confession, after the, the relying on this mercy of our Lord, you know that you're so dependent on Him that we want to focus on who is the answer. It's the Master, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember when I went through these exercises that... It was so consoling to live the life of our Lord for those 30 days. So once you got past all the junk, (laughs) you might call it, (laughs) the sins, and realize you could rebuild with our Lord and then follow him through his life, it's so consoling. I personally would love to do it again. I would preach them again. Um, And I've tried even to interest men to take a longer retreat than five days. At one point when I was in Phoenix, I... I even lined up in the retreat schedule for the year 10 day retreat because I thought men might like to do that but it's very difficult for them Yeah, to it is very time, difficult, I'm off. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, the the spiritual exercises are are fantastic. They they marked um I did the exercises with um the Oblates of Mary and they do kind of like a truncated sort of uh exercise where um I think it's actually I think it's the full length, but you're obviously not in a retreat house. So you, you, yes. you go and you, you do it every day on your own. Okay. So it's a little bit different, but they were, they were a pivotal moment in my, my spiritual life where I began to grow after that. I grew spiritually like yes. in excess and it was amazing to me. Yep. Yeah. It was an, on, on, an upward, um, Ascent, but um, yeah, it is interesting because afterwards you do have a, a sense of uh, spiritual self-awareness. That's true. That you you don't have before. Yes. And um, and yeah, I would recommend it for anyone really. Do you think that maybe you you would be doing these exercises anytime soon?
1: Uh, I will be preaching them. I've been asked by the priests in Post Falls, Idaho, to do a woman's retreat in November. They try to hold a few retreats up there I don't know if a lot during the year but where they can during the summer when schedules allow they use uh, a local Protestant retreat house that we've used for years now I've even preached a few times there so they do they'll do a men's retreat maybe a woman's retreat this time they're doing a woman's retreat in November they've asked me to do that um, I love preaching them when I have a chance I've even thought about having them here in Southern California. The the drawback to that is we do have two close retreat houses That's to say Ignatius retreat house uh, i'm sorry um <laughs> San Alfonso's retreat house in Las Gatos and then Our Lady of Sorrows in Phoenix, so those are very easily available. But there are people who can't travel, who would not be able to travel, maybe, or for the convenience sake would be more interested in going if it was local. Um, so i've entertained that and I would love to do so. Um, because as we know from the commentators, from the way I learned to preach them, you really need the best benefit is to have a guided retreat Mm -hmm. with a priest, so you can actually go in and counsel with him. As a matter of fact, they'll even say that once we've learned something from a conference, we meditate on it, yes, but then the follow-up to see how that movement's happening in the soul is really what the retreat master, you know. And Ignatius, as we know from the commentators and from history, He would even preach some one-on-one with his his disciples. Uh, Can you imagine thirty days with just one-on-one? And so then you can see how he formed these men into quite the military. You know,
0: right? (laughs) (laughs) That is true. So, so we're talking about a a long-term retreat where you're being you're being broken down and rebuilt um, on the premises of of understanding who you are in relation to god that's right and um and what else how how to obtain um a sort of uh discernment of spirits
1: that's right yeah that's those are the powerful points of the retreat is his discernment of spirits because he'll say you know there are certain things that god gives us and certain impulses of the man himself where you need to work with it and you need to know whether it's good or bad and that's the discernment of spirits what's pushing me he has the annotations of course those are very strong in his writings but he has these discernment of spirits. two weeks uh he calls them two weeks um, the first week is obviously the one we focus on the most in a 5d exercise i like to introduce the second week as much as i can not every retreat master is going to do that because you have a short period of time and your first focus is that first uh, week of discernment, where you're just pretty much that. What state of soul am I? You know, I love that example he gives. Are you a sponge or a rock? And that will determine the state of your soul, either in the state of grace or in the state of sin, is going to be uh, affected by the influence of the spirits, according to that, that let's say, texture, that uh, disposition. So if someone's like a rock, you know, then hardly can the grace get in if someone's in the rock of sin then hardly does the inspiration of the the good angel get in so you know if you're more like the angel or the spirit who's influencing you then you got this good working cooperation you know it's very it's very um well very imp- he has very important points to make and for us to digest and use today because i i've used these discernment of spirit points over and over again, especially in this modern world when things can be crazy, confusing, and or you're trying to figure out with a soul, you know, what direction they should take. And one big thing that, well, let's say a strong point emphasized by Saint Ignatius is this whole peacefulness of soul, not making a decision in a rapid change or um, uprooting One'self, unless you're certain that you're peaceful, you have this this period of stability. Otherwise, the devil will try to get in in a moment when things are just all confused and agitated. You know. So those those are very pivotal points in the Ignatian exercises. Um, these discernment the of spirits and making decisions that are based on reason, yes, faith, prayer. Nothing done rapidly or extreme. Um, everything balanced, very, very balanced. I even, see, I encourage all types of souls to go on the Ignatian retreat, lax or scrupulous. I know that sometimes the, the retreat master is hesitant to have a scrupulous soul go on the uh, retreat. Now, I like to distinguish that, there are sensitive souls who have become scrupulous and are, there are the mentally unbalanced, and the mentally unbalanced shouldn't be on the retreat, that's just the way it is. But there, I find there's a lot of souls who are just pushed towards scrupulosity because of this mad world we live in, and they don't have a real balance, they fall into a scrupulosity, all they need is for these exercises to be preached with charity and mercy, and then they come right back up. But it takes the guidance of a, of a retreat master. You know.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it. I wanted to go back to something you said a, a few minutes ago, uh, when okay. you're talking about discernment of spirits. What exactly is that? Is that angelic forces
1: or? In St. Ignatius, without having to always say, oh, this is the demon or this is, <laughs> or this is an angel, he calls it the good and bad spirits. But we can, we, can, we can interpret that as good and bad. That's to say angels and demons. Um, so they're both at work on us, depending on our disposition. Mm-hmm. So uh the man who's in sin the devil's saying keep going keep it down that road you're doing everything just right follow that and everything seems easy whereas the the good angel comes along and says oh no don't you feel your conscience I feel a little bit of guilt at that aren't you a little sad at not being you know where you should be mm-hmm. so yes no definitely we're talking angels and demons um although he's not that clear saying angels or demons he just says good spirits or bad spirits and i think that leaves see that leaves a little bit of an opening because we know that we ourselves can have inclinations right. so you might say what spirit is that you know mm-hmm. it could be just me it could be a disposition i have towards evil and so therefore that's a spirit that's pushing on me
0: right that's true yeah i, I can um i can understand that for sure you know because you do have to have a sort of sense of knowledge of yourself and your, your dispositions, your, your, um, right. Uh, character, for example. Yes. And that, that really That's influences so on where, where you fall into sin or, you know, what you're prone to do.
1: Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Even in the first set of rules, you have the soul. Let's see, even in the retreat, he finds himself. Okay. I was very much a sinner. I've I'm now made a conversion. I am now, following the ignatian exercise made a good confession what's going to happen next well because he has this good disposition and resolution the devil's going to come along and say you know you know you're a sinner you're not worth it you couldn't do that all these discouraging thoughts you know to mm-hmm. try to sway him from the good purpose he has or the good end he could attain and again some people are more prone to that because of weakness of will maybe they have uh I don't know, they're of their temperament. Their temperament is such that they're easily discouraged, you know.
0: Right. So what are the rules of the of the exercises?
1: The rules of the Sermon of Spirits? Yes. Yes. Um, So I'd like to go through those and say that the first set is the longest. It goes through 14 rules. (laughs) And then the second set or second week is going to be a little bit less. Um, we'll go through those real quick, uh, and then we can always go back to them if you'd like uh, to ask any questions about them. The first rule, in case of those who go from one mortal sin to another, the enemy is ordinarily accustomed to propose apparent pleasures. So this is what we call um, going from sin to sin. He's he's pushed. He has a certain bent. He's just driven this direction, and so according to that bent or this position the devil comes up and just fills his imagination with the essential delights and gratifications keeps pushing him down that road for such persons the good spirit uses the method quite the opposite making light of reason he rouses using the light of reason he rouses the sting of the conscience
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he tries to get into whatever remains of that conscience and fill it with remorse that's where the guilt is felt the second rule we call might call this the conversion Uh, In case of those who go earnestly striving to cleanse their souls from sin and who seek to rise to the service of God, our Lord, to greater perfection, the method pursued is the opposite of that mentioned in the first rule. So then the devil is coming along after that conversion to harass anxiety, afflict with sadness, raise obstacles, backed by fallacious reasoning. That fallacious reasoning is quite incredible how that disturbs so many souls today. Oh, this, 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 this. No, 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 no. Those are just empty reasonings. But many people fall for them and they disturb the soul. And thus he seeks to prevent the soul from advancing. And then as the good spirit comes along and tries to give courage, strength, maybe even consolation and tears, inspirations and peace. And he does this by making all easy. So as you're going down that road of conversion, he wants you to continue. So he's trying to push aside everything Removing all obstacles so the soul can go forward in doing good. Um, the next step will be for St. Ignatius, the third rule is the good angel and his spiritual consolation. He wants the soul to be consoled. So, the spiritual consolation is something to take a moment to look at. And St. Ignatius calls it an interior movement aroused in the soul by being inflamed with love of God, love of its creator. And as a consequence, It doesn't want to love anything else on the face of the earth for its own sake, but only in the creature, the creature in union with the creator. It is likewise consolation when one sheds tears that move to the love of God, whether it be because of sorrow for sins or because of the sufferings of Christ. So there are different things that will move the soul. Even through the whole retreat, we first start with sorrow for sin, but eventually that's not where we stop. We eventually want to get to the point where we're loving our Lord for himself. And, of course, the sufferings. Finally, I call consolation, says St. Ignatius, every increase of faith, hope, and love, all interior joy that invites and attracts to what is heavenly and to the salvation of one's soul, filling it filling it to the brim with peace and quiet. Whereas the opposite of that is going to be spiritual desolation. And we find a lot of souls right now with a lot of spiritual desolation. And so he calls desolation the opposite. Consider... This that the darkness of soul, turmoil of spirit, inclination to what is low and earthly, restlessness, rising from many disturbances and temptations, which lead to want of faith, want of hope, want of love. The soul is then wholly slothful, it's tepid, it's kind of it's stuck in a dark spot, and it's separated, as it were, from its Creator and Lord. And just as consolation is the opposite of desolation, so the thoughts that spring from consolation are the opposite of those it will be springing from desolation. Um, But important practical note is his fifth rule. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do in the moment of desolation? Well, he says this is really a golden rule. We should never make any change. That's the biggest trick the devil has for us is that when in a a moment of desolation, we want to do something tragic or something dramatic or something uh, life-changing. No, it's not the moment to do that. Um, Even in this whole question of souls moving over from, let's say, Novus Ordo land to tradition, they have to do that very cautiously. Or going from, uh, I don't know, living in a very liberal area to a very conservative area or moving across the country. You have to do that very cautiously because you don't want to upset the soul or let the devil guide you wrongly in this time of desolation. So... Um, what else can we say, but following his counsels, we can never find the right, right way to a good decision. In those moments of desolation, if we f- follow the, the inspirations inspirations of the devil, we will not, by following those counsels, find our way to a right decision. The sixth rule is what we call the counterattack. We're told in our desolation and even dryness, don't do your prayers, don't go to mass, don't go to confession. And we have to do the counterattack. That's the famous Ignatian counterattack to do adjure contra, the adjure contra, to do the opposite. OK, I don't want to say my rosary. I'm going to say my rosary. But see what kind of strength of will that takes. Oh, I don't want to go to that mass on that day. Well, I'm going to go anyway. Um, I don't want to make my confession right now. Well, I'm going to do it anyway, because it's the adjure contra. This can be done by insisting more upon prayer, meditation, frequent examinations, increasing our penance. I think it's what a lot of souls could remember in Lent. In Lent, we try to do some good works in union with Holy Mother Church's rules, and then, oh, who comes along to say, oh, that's discouraging, or discouraging us by saying, that's not worth it, or you're not strong enough, or, and then we need to to do the odds or contrary. we need to to try harder. Seventh rule is simply a carry-on of, when one is in desolation, he should be mindful that God is left into his natural powers to resist the different agitations and temptations of the enemy in order to try him. You know, this amazing thing that I think we all need to remember is that God, although the master and the one who controls everything, he's given quite a bit to us to try on our own. So he gives the grace and he allows us to test it out. He's even testing us to prove our worth. And I think sometimes we don't trust enough in his power. So he's, again... Um, you might say, leaving him to his natural powers. He can resist, resist with the help of God, which always remains, though he may not clearly perceive it. I love that Philippians quote, chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. For though God has taken him from him the abundance of fervor and overflowing love, the intensity of his favors, nevertheless, he has sufficient grace for eternal salvation that's one thing uh, we cannot be reminded too much about eighth rule when again when one is in desolation he should strive to persevere in patience i guess you might say that goes along with that adjura contra not making a change man i don't like this situation okay be patient this reacts against the vexations that have overtaken him or the soul and let him consider to that or to that end that consolation will soon return you know, we, everybody's saying, this too will pass nowadays. It's true. <laughs> we must be patient. And then, you know, there's a consolation around the corner. That's the way God works. In the meantime, he must diligently use the means against the desolation by that sixth rule, a contra. Well, a lot of souls ask me, well, what, why, why am I dry? Why am I desolate? And he gives the answers in the ninth rule. Why is it that my prayer just doesn't seem to console me as much? I don't feel so zealous about saying my rosary or going to Mass or going on that pilgrimage or who knows what. Um, What are these principal reasons why we suffer such things? Mm. St. Ignatius lays them out in the ninth rule. He says, first, the most common is the punishment. The punishment, um, because we have been tepid, slothful, negligent, and even... Um. Yes. laying off, being lax with our exercises of piety and so therefore our own fault brings on a spiritual desolation so that consolation has been taken away from us as a punishment oh yeah, you don't want it? you don't want the gift? okay, God is free to give it he doesn't, he doesn't have to give us consolation or helps to guide us in the spiritual ways he does but if we don't use them you know, a very, well, a child who doesn't appreciate the gifts or the helps he's been given, why should the parents keep giving it to him? So God takes it back. That's a punishment. You might say that the other is a trial. And we have here the example of Holy Job, of someone who's Mm meriting. And the second reason is just that. God wishes to try us to see how much we're worth, how much we will advance when left without his consolation? Will we do it simply on the grace, the merits, the basis of him who gave it to us? Or are we waiting for the consolation? Oh, I'll be good if God consoles me. No, he doesn't have to do that either. He could give us a trial like Job, holy Job, who sat on his dung heap and said, nope, I'm not going to deny God, even though everybody says, that's ridiculous, look what he did to you. Why don't you deny him and come down? The third, um, which ends up being Possible for a lot of us. It's true. You might even say it's what happened to the saints. It's the example of the saints, the third reason. And that's the lesson. So, the third reason for being desolate, according to St. Ignatius, is it's a lesson. And here, God wishes to give us a true knowledge and understanding of ourselves so we may have an intimate perception of the fact that it's not within our power to acquire and attain great devotion, to have this intense love or tears or any other spiritual consolation. This is a gift. This is a gift and grace of God, and God does not wish us to build on the property of another. That's also an interesting fact that Saint Ignatius pulls in here. You know, look at himself as a soldier. He was not going to build up on the the um, well notoriety of someone else. You know, he wanted to make it for himself, his bravado to do this honor, this, do this thing for the honor and glory of the king or for the country. And so he even brings it in here. God does not wish us to build in the property of another to rise up in a spirit of a certain pride and vainglory and attribute to ourselves the devotion and spiritual consolation. So there's the three points of St. Ignatius' principal reasons why we might be desolate. Uh, The 10th rule, when one is in consolation, let him consider how he will conduct himself when he's not in uh, in consolation. So if he's in consolation, He should think, okay, desolation is liable to come. What will I do? And then when he's in desolation, remember back to the moment of consolation. So he says in the 11th rule, he who enjoys consolation should take care to humble himself and lower himself as much as possible. Here we have the example of St. Gabriel and the Blessed Virgin. Look at this gift that Our Lady was given. Look how humble she is, reducing herself down. Not in a very kind of pietistic or sort of apologetic way, but just really really humble. Let him recall how little he is able to do in time of desolation, and when he is left without such grace or consolation. On the other hand, one who suffers desolation, as the example of St. Job and St. Joseph, Holy Job and St. Joseph, whose feast day is today, remember that by making use of the sufficient grace offered him, he can do much to withstand all his enemies. Let him find strength in his Creator and Lord. And then the twelfth rule, this is very... Not politically correct, I say. Um, the woman is often the example of the enemy. So the enemy conducts himself as a woman. That's just very practical. He is a weakling <laughs> before a show of strength and a tyrant if he has his will. It is characteristic of a woman in a quarrel with a man to lose courage and take flight if the man shows that he's determined and fearless. Jezebel is an example in the Old Testament. However, if man loses courage and begins to flee, the anger, vindictiveness and rage of the woman surge up and know no bounds. In the same way, the devil, the enemy, becomes weak, loses courage and turns to flight with his seductions. As soon as one leading a spiritual life faces his temptations boldly and does exactly the opposite of what he suggests. because a lot of times what we do is we run in fear and that's gonna be in another, another rule. We we're up against our temptations. We're up against a lot of onslaught of the demons and bad spirits, and so we want to run around scared with our hands in the air and as though we have no recourse. He says, "Stop that! The enemy becomes weak and loses courage. We just stand up to him." And this is an example in his life of working with Peter Abelard, mm-hmm. uh, Saint Peter, who would end up being Saint Peter. He, this poor man, was so afflicted by temptations. He thought he'd just go out and the the desert as a hermit and fight them. And Ignatius said, no, you're not gonna do that. You need help, you need to stay with us, I'll help you. Uh, don't, don't run in fear from your temptations. However, if one begins to be afraid and loses courage in temptations, no, in the face of temptation, no wild animal on earth can be more fierce than the enemy of our human nature. So you don't wanna to toy with temptations, but we want to be, as I say, firm, quick, nonviolent." It's an interesting factor in the human soul and psychologically when we hit something too hard, it seems to swing around like some of these toys and it slaps you in the back of the head, so you have to you have to push it very firmly quickly, but not violently. Uh, He will carry out his perverse intentions with consummate malice if we somehow, as he says, run in fear, do not toy with temptation, but at the same time you want to stand up to it. And say no. It's really that consent of will, a strength of will. We have examples here of uh, St. Vincent, St. Teresa, Teresa of, uh, I believe this is St. Teresa of Lisieux. Our enemy may also be compared in his manner of acting to a false lover, a gigolo. He seems to remain hidden and does not want to be discovered. If such a lover speaks with evil intention to the daughter of a good father or the wife of a good husband and seeks to seduce them, he wants his words and solicitations kept secret. He's greatly displeased if someone was to reveal it. And it's also a very important point for those who go to confession. If they're being bothered by the enemy of our souls, nothing better than to say to the priest, even if it's not a sin, oh, Father, I've had this temptation. I've had this thing bother me like a monkey on my back. Hmm. Throw it off. You just throw it off in the confessional, and it's amazing how he feels exposed, the demon, and he's not less likely to use it. You know? Um So the devil is greatly displeased if his evil suggestions and depraved intentions are revealed, then he readily sees he will not succeed when he has begun. That's why we say even some souls need to go to the spiritual director for accountability. Father, this is happening to me. Or maybe it's a wife to her husband or even the husband to his wife. If he says, boy, this has really been bothering me at work or this person, that's enough maybe to break that secrecy and then keep that from being um, a possible sin. When the enemy of our human nature attempts a just soul with his wiles and seductions, he earnestly desires that they be received secretly and kept secret. If one manifests them to a confessor, to some other spiritual person who understands his deceits and malice designs, malicious designs, the evil one is very much vexed. The monkey has just been cast out. Acts of humility is really what it is. Yep, he knows that he cannot succeed in his evil undertaking. Fourteenth rule, the conduct of our enemy may also be compared to the tactics of a leader. I love this one. I think of it when we play volleyball and when we play (laughs) any type of sport. I remember in the seminary, I found an an easy serve, well, a very wicked serve, and it really was nothing to do with teamwork, (laughs) but I could shoot the ball right over the net and drop it down so close that they couldn't pick it up. And so that was not very nice, but it was one way for us to gain the points to get us ahead a little bit. But we know that. We know these weaknesses in our teams that we play with, or certain players, and the devil does the same thing. I love this 14th rule. He's like a commander of a leader of an army, and he'll camp and explore the fortifications, looking around at the weaknesses, who's coming and going, who does this or that. And then he attacks at the weakest point. So I tell people, you know, if you want to know where you're weakest, watch what sins you commit, watch what temptations you have, watch what really gets you vexed. In the same way the enemy of our human nature investigates from every side all our virtues, theological, cardinal, moral, and where he finds the defenses of eternal salvation weakest, and most efficient, there he attacks and tries to take us over by storm. So that's the first, uh, first week or first set of discernment of spirits. And you see how positive, well, positive, yes, but how important they are for just a modern man.
0: Yeah, exactly. I I wanted to ask you um, in one of the rules, or ra- rather, in the exercises proper, okay. we are discerning the spirits, so to say, and we're we're gauging whether or not we feel consolation or desolation. Yes. Now, in the modern world, there's a sort of um, there's a sort of desire, or a rather um, a sort of habit of people wanting to feel a certain way. Like um, I feel happy today. And if we're not happy this day, that means there's something wrong. Are right. we talking about something different? Like the consolation of the soul is different from like, for example, our, our, our feelings proper.
1: Yes. Yes. Because I think we have to be careful that there's an emotional. Um... It's exactly mm-hmm. the word. It's, it's more of an yeah. emotional is emotional feeling that we have right. maybe yeah. by how we slept that night or what we ate <laughs> the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to be careful of that pushing us, but still that is more like, um, the spiritual authors call that a type of, uh, mm, yes, I forget the exact name they use. Uh, I'm sorry. It slipped my mind. So we're it's, it's really not on the level of the spirits necessarily, but it is a type of, um, uh, movement movement Mm -hmm. in the soul that can, for a lot of people, because it's an emotional low or emotional high, push them towards decisions or intellectual, I'll say, moving their intellects and will towards the emotion, rather than being rational about it, you know, Mm -hmm. it is true, that's very much a part of it. Now, I can see where we've all experienced it. And where someone who is very emotional, they dictate all of their decisions on the emo- emotivity, on this, all this motion. Um, that's not wise. And you can see where they are falling into what we had said earlier about a sadness. They're afflicted with a certain type of sadness or on the other side, <laughs> extreme happiness or craziness, whereby they make decisions. Um, that could be the, the, what started as kind of a, my, maybe a, a physical bodily thing became, became a spiritual thing movement you know so it's true they're separate but they can easily influence one another you know
0: right i think maybe saint ignatius had that in mind because some of the rules of discernment are sort of baked in there so that you aren't reactionary so that you're you're not reacting to every little disturbance on your mind yes that's right so he must have thought of that
1: yeah very true you know who explains that very well is father beryl he put together, Father Bariel was the spiritual director of the seminary in Icone that Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre invited to Icone to be the spiritual director and then he passed on to us society priests what he learned from Father Vallée. Um And so in his explanation, if you ever can find that book put out by Angelus Press years ago, uh, uh, blue and yellow I believe, or blue and white, different colored um, covers over the years, but in there, he talks about as an example of that, how man and wife, they have a home, man goes out, he's working, he's busy, wife's at home, she's busy, they're both tired, they come back together in the evening, and one of them says, well, why'd you do that? And the other says, why are you complaining? And then suddenly it becomes this <laughs> agitation, and he says, Father Burial says, the devil just entered in there, because one of them maybe had a, a legitimate grief or tiredness, but the others should not have responded to it in the way they did because what it did is just opened the door to agitation, confusion, frustration. And then now everybody's affected.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very Italian. Father Burial is very sharp, very sharp with his examples.
0: So he was at Econ. I, I have this book. Um, I, I purchased it. Um, I do some bookbinding. Uh, that's one of the, okay. the things that I do, uh, besides photography. But uh, I got this really awesome book on eBay one day. I have it here, and maybe I'll show you one day in person. Okay. Um yeah, certainly. But it was signed by Archbishop Lefebvre, and uh, one of the prayer cards in here was, uh, I can show you, uh, it's a prayer card for a priest that was ordained um, in 1982. okay. His name is Francois laisney Le-
1: Oh, Lene. yeah, Francois Lennay. He actually was one of our first um, superiors here in uh, the United States.
0: Oh wow, that's amazing. Francois Lene. Yeah.
1: yeah, he was. There was two district superiors at that time, and he was taking care of the Southwest District, which is pretty much the whole district now. But he was father of Francois Lennay. Yep.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting book. I'm, I'm actually trying to uh, do some conservation on it to keep it, but uh, yeah, it's like kind of falling apart.
1: <laughs> no problem. Well, you have to show it to me. That'd be great.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, so we're we're talking about the spiritual exercises. we 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 have an idea of what they are now. There, it's it's a retreat. Yes, and we have um, it's a long term retreat where um, you're sort of broken down and um wow. and you have a a sort of you come out with an awareness on your dependence of god Christ. and his grace and within here we just explain the the uh the rules of of the discernment of spirits um what strikes me so much about these exercises is um it's sort of like extreme spiritual direction that's right and
1: like a big shot in the arm <laughs> exactly
0: yeah hopefully you're not taking that
1: uh, <laughs> this is a good vaccine.
0: Yeah, it's a good it's a good vaccine. <laughs> um I I find that that we we're in such dire need of spiritual direction nowadays and it's such a shame because there is there's a crisis in that there's not there's not as many priests or or people that uh I don't think you have to correct me if I'm wrong but you don't have to be a priest to be a spiritual director
1: yeah that that was the example from primarily that is the idea of the church to have mm-hmm. so that we keep uh, the proper hierarchy of um spiritual direction but as we know in the case of saint ignatius before he was um before he was ordained a priest he was directing his own men you know right because right. he was a master he'd already mastered what mm-hmm. he was giving and certainly it was orthodox so right
0: and in his example he sort of had a, a really um he had some supernatural grace there enable right. enabling him to do that. But, yeah, I, I find that that we, we're in such dire need of spiritual direction nowadays, but it's really hard to, to find it. Um, do you have any suggestions as to how someone could uh, encounter spiritual direction nowadays?
1: So a lot of times now our faithful ask, even if it's infrequent, they'll ask to visit with the priest and make an appointment mm-hmm. to come in. Um, What I used to try to do in Phoenix, because I had so many asking for spiritual direction, I started giving, I think it was at least, was it even twice a month? Uh, Around the time of benediction on Thursday evenings, I would just give a conference on the spiritual life. Um, Something that would be profitable to men and women, maybe even young children or teenagers. A general thing, but something they wouldn't normally hear, something that would help to feed their souls. So that's one way of doing it, is giving a general spiritual conference, not a sermon so much, but really digging into something of the soul that would be applicable. Um, Another thing, but like I said, it's also possible to ask the priest for an appointment, uh, the priests that are available. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, on another level, Rodolfo, is to actually get the men, fathers of their homes, to be strong spiritual leaders. And maybe that doesn't work always so well with their wife, but it can work for their children. They can be spiritual directors for their children. So there's no problem with that. As long as they're, they're taking direction from the priest, they pass it on to the children. Right, That's one way to do it, too.
0: And that, again, is, is proper hierarchy, as you just explained. You know, you're, you're, you're being fed by the priest and you're in turn feeding your family or your yes. children, I mean. Um, True definitely going to put that in my pocket my uh (laughs) my wife uh my wife and i are expecting we just uh i think we just started the third trimester either this week or last week
1: congratulations
0: thank you so much we're so excited you know and (laughs) and i think you're right too that's the other thing that's the other side of the crisis is that um the home life has been destroyed it is there's almost it's almost non-existent anymore right and um, you see this even in, in couples that are married in the church there's just there's just not yeah. there's not a prayer life there's not a strong um, sense of the spiritual
1: and that's the beauty of the Ignatian exercises after all this first week in preparation of soul and building up you're actually following the Holy Family you're following our Lord of course with his virtues and graces but you're actually looking to see what Saint Joseph does and Our Lady is one of the most powerful parts for the men and women who come couples who come on our retreats, because we can tailor these retreats to what we call the tribulations of the Holy Family. Mm-hmm. And we sum up all these mysteries of our Lord in the short five days. And we try to pick out the things that would help them in their modern life, in their home life. Um, and we try to make that very, even in the resolutions that they come to us, uh, during the retreat, they're coming for the consultations, towards the end, the middle of the retreat, we say, okay, you need to be thinking about your resolutions do make too many and make them sufficient to help your family. So your prayer life, your dominant fault, in your apostolate, what are you gonna do? And many don't have to go too far for apostolate, simply just to look after their family. Simply to say, okay, we're gonna do this for prayer life, we're gonna do this for mass, we're gonna do it, et-, et cetera, et cetera. All these different things that help the family. Because that's really where everybody's gonna be saved, right? Is with <laughs> within their family structure.
0: Right. Ultimately, too, it's it's um you look at saint ignatius's life and even you know some of even the motto of the um of the jesuits which i think is oh. amdg right is that
1: yes right Maiorem de gloriam mm-hmm. so
0: they're doing he was doing it and and in the beginning too they were doing it out of a great love for god yes um True. you see that in their life also uh the society of jesus going out in their missionary spirit in in trying to to bring many yeah. souls into the church um I wanted to briefly talk about um maybe get your insight as to what happened to the the society of Jesus I mean we look at <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we look at it today and there there's sort of um yeah. a sense of scandal but it, do you think maybe that there was like some key events that led to this moment where
1: the one I always put my finger on is there may I call it, infidelity, to these spiritual exercises. Mm. They started to water them down to, to make them ambiguous, to allow a lot of um, maybe even ecumenism into their, their exercises and or even just too much naturalism or secularism. And that really undermined them. Uh, and so once you lost this structure that made them who they were, strengthening of the will, confirmed in what their purpose is, conviction, To do this for the love of god as true soldiers once they became less soldiers then you start seeing things collapse and then of course well how many (laughs) how many jesuits heretics are out there now they they all have this sj after the name and you don't know what that means anymore because the man doesn't even stand up to the caliber of saint ignatius or even saint francis xavier or any of these great jesuits that helped to evangelize the united states right and so I, that's, my per, that's my opinion, is they were not preaching the exercises as they were given. Therefore, everything after that starts to be ambiguous, starts to be watered down, the purpose and drive for converting souls. Look at this, you mentioned it, but look at the strength of will that it took for Francis Xavier to go around Asia. Right. That's incredible. Our father just met to go across the northern part of the United States into the Northwest. I mean, it's incredible, incredible strength of will. And then you look at the North American martyrs there in New York and Canada, incredible. St. Isaac Jogues. I have his picture here on the wall. Uh, he's my patron saint of the priesthood. And oh, he's such an inspiration, such an example of strength of will. I mean, having his fingers shoot off and going back to martyrdom the second time. Oh, that's such a martyrdom? tragic story. Yes. <laughs> Just punches you in the gut. <laughs> I remember the first time I read that's that. Cool. Yeah. Where did they get their strength from? It's from the Ignatian exercises. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and there's it's sort of a logical consequence, too, of um, if, I mean, we look at the source of, of these exercises, ultimately they came from Our Lady. There yes. is a consequence if you, I mean, this is something that's coming Arch, down. Yeah. yeah, it's coming down from heaven and given to you if you deviate yeah. from it. Obviously, there's going to be some consequences to that. Exactly. Yeah, there, I mean, there's, I'm sure you're aware, but there are people who, uh, who attribute that, um, you know, sort of deviation to like, maybe Russia not being consecrated, for example.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah. I kind of have, well, we can see, we can see anything that our ladies ask for, at some point, men, think oh that's too humbling or that's too simplistic or oh we're way way beyond that well i think you're mistaken you have to follow the mother <laughs> you have to right. follow our lady you right. can't deviate either in church doctrine or heard commands because otherwise it just becomes pride again and as soon as you do that you are losing right you're, you're you know
0: right so father uh to close out um any any plans in the future uh, i know i, I kind of asked you that in the beginning but uh, is the society doing any uh, does the society ugh, sorry <laughs> does the society have any plans in the in the near future to maybe hold a retreat uh, anywhere in america for example i mean some people exactly. can travel
1: so we uh if you can travel we have the three retreat houses one in richfield connecticut saint ignatius retreat house where i preached there mm-hmm. uh St. phoenix our lady of sorrows i was a pre- retreat master there and then father right now father asher uh, is trying to get things up and running in los gatos it has been difficult with the california restrictions and the health codes mm-hmm. but there's also another retreat house there in los gatos so those three and then we also hold those at the brothers and the Vishet, one for vocations and one for men happening this summer, you could always look those up online with our website. Um, and then, as I mentioned, the one that I'm preaching in the fall for women up in uh, in uh, post falls in November, uh, and then you never know another one's going to pop up somewhere, as I say, if I could do one here in California, I would and i'd probably first do it for the men. Um, and see how many I could interest.
0: Right. So, Father, how can people uh, follow you and your work?
1: Well, you can certainly come visit our church of Our Lady of the Angels here in Arcadia. Beautiful But we church. also have... <laughs> thank you. We also have our website up now, well, we had for a while, Our Lady of the Angels on YouTube, where we have many videos on catechism now since last year, and also current sermons um, and other instructions. Um, people are really glad to have those, and it's really helpful for them to instruct them in the faith. We're following the Council of Trent Catechism, so very basic, but very powerful.
0: Yeah, that's a great catechism,
1: for sure. It
0: is. (laughs) All right, Father, thank you so much for for coming on to the podcast. You have the distinction of being the first priest to be on the podcast. Oh, oh. On behalf of Jordan and I, unfortunately Jordan couldn't be here today, but we we thank you so much. (laughs) You're most
1: welcome. I'm glad to be
0: here. Thank you and um if if people are curious again of the uh, the ignatian spiritual exercises do you suggest any any books
1: yes um first maybe just to get to know the life of saint ignatius and how powerful uh, his life was in the good of, for the good of the church and that's a that biography of saint ignatius put out by tan books and then also um, there is this christian warfare book that we put out um A summary of devotions, but the Ignatian exercises are in most of the book, so one could even get to know them, read about them, see what the meditations are about, just by picking up the book itself. This is a large version, it's called the deluxe edition, but there's a smaller one that's easier to carry, like the size of your missile. Um, That's a good way to get to know the Ignatian exercises, just by simply getting familiar with the meditations.
0: Oh, that's great. And that's available through Angelus Press?
1: That's correct. Great,
0: great. Well, thank you, Father. Um, could I ask you to give us a blessing?
1: Certainly. Benedicite, omnipotens, patri, sephiri, spiritus sancti, deus super, vos et semper. Amen. Thank you, Father. You're most welcome. Good to see you again.